Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. I love when God puts stuff together. It's so cool. Um, That last song couldn't be more appropriate for where we're going to end up today. Um, Jesus, 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 and they're like, well, of course we're in church. Where would we end up, right? Um, But sometimes we can forget that. Um, why we're here, what we're doing here. We can get caught up in just, oh, it's Sunday, let's go to church, let's do our thing, and let's go. So, there's this medieval king, and he has an astrologer that kind of keeps him on track. And so one day the astrologer comes up and says, "Um, King, I'm sorry, but your wife is going to die soon. So just be prepared for that. And so... Time goes by and all of a sudden she dies. And the the king is just irate because he feels that because this astrologer kind of predicted this, that's kind of why it happened and sort of accelerated her death. So he calls the astrologer to him and he says, "Um, you've concerned me. He says, I want to know, when are you going to die? And the astrologer's like, oh boy, he's off his rocker now. How am I going to answer him? So he takes a moment takes a step back and he says, King, I cannot tell you when I will die, but know this, three days later, you will die. (laughs) He knew what he was doing. He was taking care. (laughs) We all do that, don't we, right? We protect ourselves. But the one thing that's true is, you know, taxes, I don't know, right now that's up in the air, but we all know that death is definitely certain, right? (laughs) That <laughs> we need to have some stuff taken care of before that happens. And so we're going to look at something interesting today. It's a, a parable, but even some people dispute whether or not this is actually a parable or not. And um, the Lord kind of drew me to this uh, account when I was on vacation and mindful of everyone here. Um, and it was, it was one of those things where I pondered it and I, I thought, okay. Let's do a little bit of digging and let's come to some conclusions about it because it's, it's an interesting parable. And I'm going to continue to call it a parable because I believe it is. Um, but what it's going to help us understand is what does God value? Um, because I know we're all interested, right? We're interested in God's will. We want to be kind of right and we want to be good with God, so to speak, um, even though we are. <laughs> that's, that's the part that, you know, God loves us. All the time, no matter what we do, no matter how we do it. Um, and so we've got to kind of start learning how to rest in that. Instead of thinking, oh, if I'm in the Bible more, God will be happier with me. Or if I do this good thing, he'll be happier with me. And sometimes we think these works kind of accrue. They're good things. Don't get me wrong. Do good things, please. <laughs> I ask you, do good things. But it's like when we kind of start to equate them to God loving us more or liking us more or doing something for us, it gets a little dicey there because he loves us. He wants the best for us all the time. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 16, uh, verses 19 through 31. And if you don't have your Bible with you, there's a couple of Bibles that are under the chairs there. Uh, it's page 1205. 
1206. But this particular parable, um, you know, when you look at parables, they're usually identified in the sense of there's anonymity there. Um, no one's ever named. In this particular parable, someone is named. And so that's kind of why there's a little bit of dispute there. Um, but, you know, usually it's a certain man this, or a certain man da-da-da-da-da, a certain woman, a certain king, and then it goes on that way. Well, here, there's Lazarus. There's a name in it. And so people are kind of like, is this prophecy? Did this happen? What is it? So we're calling it a parable because I've come to conclude that it's a parable. We look at some of the other parables. There are some that talk about Jerusalem and Jericho, and those are real places, and they're to help us bring, have understanding. And I think when we get a little further into this, what Lazarus means, okay, it's helping us have understanding of what's going on there. So that's where I'm sticking. If you want to come to a different interpretation, you are completely entitled to. Take some time, study it. But this morning we're going to look at Three aspects, two dis, um, I'm sorry, two dispositions, two destinies, two desires. And hopefully as we work through those and conclude, uh, we're going to understand what God values. And hopefully that's something that is happening in your life and in your heart. And because of the content of this, not that it's horrific or anything, but it can be challenging. Uh, I'd really like to, let's go back to the Lord, ask for prayer to really be intent on what it has to say and where we stand before it. So pray with me again. Father, as we come before you, we're thankful, Lord, that you are a faithful father, that your desire for us is always good. You want good things to happen in our life. You desire those things to happen. And sometimes... It requires bad things to happen to have those good things come about. But those things aside, we ask that as we get into your word today, that we will hear from you individually. That we will not dismiss where we stand before you because we don't relate to either one of these people. Uh, help us to truly hear your spirit and be guided by it today as we get into your word and hear from you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So two dispositions. Um, so we're going to start in verse 19. And you can read along or just listen to me read it. it says, there was a certain man, certain rich man, who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Doesn't that sound fun? Doesn't that sound like the life we want to have? No, not even close. But see, the thing that we have to realize is we disconnect from something like that immediately. Oh, I'm not rich, and I'm not poor, and I don't have sores, so we disconnect. But we have to realize, okay, this parable is being spoken to help bring understanding for us. And at this time, this was a real happening. This was a, an event that could take place. This was something you could see on a regular basis as you were walking through town. You would see people who were you know, wounded or people who had these issues or people who were poor. And it's, you know, it, it's beyond what we deal with 
I mean, how many of us are really impacted by the homelessness issues that we have? I mean, I couldn't tell you the last time I've really interacted with somebody that was homeless for a while. Well, the pandemic hasn't, of course. None of us have seen anybody. But we don't kind of interact with that. And so we forget. But this is something that was very real, that people saw, that people walked by on a regular basis that, that could happen. That's why he's using this. But I think he's also giving us these huge, you know, opposed positions to really drive home a point, to really kind of capture our attention. So let's not miss that. Now, the rich man, he's identified and described as clothed in purple. Now, there's two classes of purple. That's something I learned. I didn't realize this, which was kind of cool, though. But there's the family dollar class of purple. <laughs> I, no, I kid you not. It's, it's, you know, it's, there's the family dollar one when it was made with beetroot. And it was one of those things where, you know, purple was a color that people liked, but it was made with beetroot. Beets were, you know, it's easy, you get it in, and you add this kind of purplish color. But then there's the Neiman Marcus class of purple. Okay, and that's the rich man's class, made from these mollusks, which inside there was this little bit of dye that they would use that would take a lot of these things to come together, which you had to have a lot of money to then have these rich, deep, royal, purple hues. And so that's kind of the, the, the imagery that's being given to us here is, no, these are the, the, one, the purple that is deep and rich and has value and, oh, everybody wants it. And so it's like, that's how he's described. He's clothed in purple with linen underneath. And that was, linen was one of those things that had so much value back then. And it was equated really to gold in cost which is, to me, that's mind-blowing. I mean, linen, we think linen, why would that be important? But it was something that was valuable back then where, I mean, it was equated to gold in, in cost and price and value, which is kind of interesting. And so this is what this man dressed in on a daily basis. This is who he was. And again, it's not bashing the rich person at all. He's not saying he lived beyond his means. It's not saying, wow, his chase bill was racked up so high that he was out of control. It's not saying anything like that, but it was just giving us an understanding of this was his focus, this was his drive, this was who he was. Now he fared, okay, which this word fared sumptuously. This particular parable follows the parable of um, the prodigal son, That's what, which just precedes this one. And if you remember, towards the end of the parable, it talks about the son coming home and they made merry. Okay, which was killing the fatted calf, calling everybody in, huge celebration. Same word, fared merrily, and I'm sorry, merrily, banqueted, whatever, is here, fared sumptuously. Same word. So this is how this guy lived on a daily basis. This is the kind of meals he had on a daily basis. And so the poor man obviously is thinking, there's got to be a lot left over. I'm going to try to get on this guy, get at this guy's house and try to see what I can get after the fact. Now, some of the imagery we get with this picture is, you know, we talk, it looks at the poor man, and he's like, you know, I just want scraps from his table. That's all I want, and whatever I can get. And so we immediately get imagery like he's in the house kind of at the feet of people waiting, but he's not. He's at the gate. And it's interesting, you know, the, the word here for this gate is what would be used for a doorway of a city or a building or a palace. So, I mean, this guy's place was crazy. And he was out at the gate, which could have been a far distance from even the front door to get in. And he waited there because what happened then 
was they would take scraps, go out to the side of the road and in the gutter for whoever or whatever to come in to eat. And that's how this guy was sustaining his life. To the point where, as he was out there, the dogs probably knew too because they were there eating with him and eating, licking his sores. This was his existence. Ugh. And we, we have to remember that in this life, there's more to it than what we see. And there's more out of it than, than what we think we can get out of it. So we can't miss it. Now, the poor man is, the word here you know, for poor is poor, poor, poor. He can't even really afford the O-R in poor, he's po. He does, he does nothing. These sores, and it's not just like, you know, oh, he had poison ivy and it was kind of, they were open oozing ulcerations. That's who he was. And, it, and you have to understand, in this context, you know, where he's telling this parable before people, and one, one of these ulcerations would make him ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. There we go. My mouth will do it. And so it's like, that's even more isolation for this individual. It's hard enough for somebody who's in this condition to even have community, but then to be in a way that even separates you from the synagogue. It's another layer of separation. And there's, there are these two places. But his name helps us understand his focus. Helped by God. Or God is my help, I'm sorry. Uh, and this is helping us understand his character because he's not asking for a handout. He's, not, he's doing what he can do. He's trying to rely on God to make it through the day and to get through this life. Now, I don't want you to hear riches do not equal righteousness and poverty does not equal... I do want you to hear that. I said that wrong. <laughs> I wrote it differently in my notes. I apologize. Riches do not equal righteousness. Poverty does not equal sinfulness. I want you to hear that. I don't, I don't want you to hear the opposite. Uh, because that would be an easy conclusion to come to. Uh, because neither one of these people are condemned for who they are, how they are, what's going on in their life. It's just being recognized. Um, I want... I don't think I put it in the notes. I didn't. So I'm just going to read this, and you guys can, will have to listen. It's a, it's a, a writing from Paul Tripp. It says, I give painful evidence every day. I experience it in a predictable and unpredictable moment. I guess I should know better, but I am often caught off guard. There is an insatiable longing inside of me, a thirst that never seems to be quenched. This deep hunger doesn't go away no matter how busy I get or how hard I work to be distracted. I long for justice, love, hope, peace, perfection, satisfaction, mercy, contentment, rest, harmony, joy, and none of these longings ever get fully satisfied. And so in my quest for more, I am faced with the incontrovertible daily evidence that this simply is not all that there is, and the sure truth that I was hardwired for another world. I mean, we initially hear this story, and if we were to choose one person we'd like to be, right, it wouldn't be the second, right? It would be the rich man. We would want his life. We would prefer that. We are driven towards that. The flesh craves those kinds of things. And we have to realize that, again, there's nothing wrong with those things. And I'm going to speak about that a little bit more, so I'm not going to unpack it right now. But the world drives that in us and demands us to focus on that and to want those things. 
But before we move on, I'm going to ask you two questions. Does God's opinion matter when it comes to how you live your life? And of course, we all go, oh, of course, of course, of course. Can you prove that with how you live? See, it's easy to come to these things and to, and to uh, accept them and say, oh, yeah, I agree with that, I agree with that. And like I said last, last week, you know, just labeling things and saying that you agree with things doesn't make them so. How we live, what we do, the choices we make, that, that brings proof. Secondly, is God an obvious part of your daily living? Does he show up in your attitudes and in your actions? Again, we're going to end at this place, and you know, the last song we sang was about Jesus. It was about Jesus. It was about Jesus. And we have to remember that this life is about Jesus, too. And there are people, and we're going to look at the destination that these two people end up in, and it's very real, so I'm not going to belabor it. I'm just going to go there. Verse 22, all right, we're looking at two destinations. Verse 22 starts this way. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Now, kind of interesting. Initially, the rich man was presented, then the poor man. Now we're here with the destination aspect of this, and now Lazarus is listed first, and then the rich man. Now, as he's mentioned first here, now there's no mention of a burial for Lazarus. Now, chances are, because of his status, he did not have the, the means for burial. Uh, there's possibilities here. One possibility is there could have been a common grave that he was laid in. Another possibility is some people were just left on the heap outside the city that was on fire. We, we don't know, but we know he wasn't buried, but he was carried by angels. Now, it's interesting, before he was laid by the gate, so people were involved in his life, and now he's carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. Kind of a cool transition for him. Now, this whole idea of Abraham's bosom was a place of, you know, it was an eternal place in the sense of it was after you died and where you went. Now, Abraham, obviously a focus of Israelites and Israel, uh, they saw this as a very dear place, Abraham's bosom, because you were close to Abraham. Now, it also helps us picture the idea of being at someone's bosom close and near. And so there's a banquet element here. Kind of interesting, right? We looked at the first banquet, now we're looking at a different banquet, completely different. And now the poor man is with Abraham at his bosom. So he is close, reclining at a table, probably dining in an amazing, amazing way. And so that's where he's at. And so he's reclined at a table, Lazarus is close to him, and he's being cared for and honored by Abraham, who the Jews were like, Ugh, everything. That's who we are, right? So we, then we look at the, the rich man's destination here. He was buried, okay? Uh, the rich man also died and was buried. Being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes. So again, he was buried, which also probably leads us to believe because he was a man of means. And so he probably had the large funeral and the big ordeal that goes with that and everything that happens with that. And it's interesting. Um, I started looking up just weird things that people do 
who have money, obviously, uh, when they die. And you know, some people are freezing themselves, some people are freezing just their heads, some people are doing things that are trying to suspend animation so that if you know, whatever is killing them or whatever, can, if it's ever fixed, they can bring them back to life. And it's just, it's really interesting. You know, obviously that stuff wasn't happening then, but chances are, just like, this way, just like the way this man lived, it was probably very interesting to see how his funeral and everything that went happened after that. But again, we're seeing these hu this huge disparity in how things are. It's one way on earth, and now it's another way in eternity, which is very interesting. And the, the mindfulness that we need to have is how we live now does make a difference. It makes a difference in eternity. It makes a difference what happens after this. And again, not that we need to get so fearful, worried, and caught up in it, but it's who we are here that is going to make a difference in who we are there. It really does matter. And I think sometimes we, we kind of don't consider eternity because this world has done a great job of keeping us distracted. I mean, I'll be honest with you, I am trying to educate myself on so many things that have just become more of a focus in our world that I never really had to give attention to before. Um, you know, I'm listening to different immunologists and doctors and all this kind of stuff to try to get a handle on this whole coronavirus thing because it's just, and even some of these people who are talking about it, they don't know. It's like, they don't know how long it lasts, they don't know how long you're sick, they don't know how long you have symptoms, and does it matter, and doesn't it matter, and it's, and it's like, that to me, that's maddening, because it's like, okay, who does know? <laughs> if, you, if you were the people who are supposed to be the experts don't know, how's this supposed to work? It's crazy. And so it's, it's those things, it's like, and I think about how much time over probably the last few months that I've devoted to just trying to educate myself on some of these things, and it, it robs me of other things. It robs me of more time in the Word or more time with people or things that I could be doing that would be more productive and have a, eternal value. And so we have to remember that you know, the, the bent or the drive or the focus or the momentum of this world is not spiritual in the sense of it's not going to draw us closer to God. It's not going to bring us into his presence. It's not going to see, help us understand God's heart even more. It's just trying to rob us constantly. That's the goal of the world system. And that's just, it's, it's set up that way because it's fleshly and we are spiritual. And so it's opposed to us and it's against us. So the rich man, he's buried. He is in hell and immediately in torment because it starts off there it even start and being in torment in hell so it's almost like he was in torment on the way there and then really in torment when he got there and it wasn't pretty for him as far as destinations i want to ask you today do you have yours locked down do you know what happens if Whatever happens to you in the next week, whether it be coronavirus, whether it be a drive-by, whether it be, I mean, you hear some of the stuff that's going on in our world, you know, you can be in the wrong place and all of a sudden you're in the middle of some kind of a protest. And stuff goes down there, crazy stuff. 
But are you certain where your destination is going to be if you leave this world? Because I want you to know. I mean, we have a book here that tells us how to know and how to be certain and how not to have to question that and not think, because when we get to the end here and kind of look at it, there's a few lessons we're going to pull away from this. Just being religious is not what it takes. In fact, Christ himself, it's an abomination to him, just religiosity. New word, just coined it for you. Anyway, is it a new word? See, I'm, not, I'm ignorant. I don't, I've got to go look that word up now because it'll drive me crazy. Do you have your destination after this world lockdown? Secondly, do you realize that this decision must be made before death? See, we can believe that, okay, there's, there's something. Some people believe that you can be prayed out of places. That's not true. It is appointed unto men once to die, and after that, the judgment. What you decide here carries with you. Both ways. All the good, all the bad, all the ugly. <laughs> and we have to trust that. Not because that's the majority, but that's because of what the Word of God says. It's going to be our dictator. It's going to be our leader. See, that's the thing that's, that's, you know, the more I'm listening to different things and educating myself on some of the stuff that's going on around here, so many things that used to be just common absolutes for people are vanishing. They're disappearing. You know, words don't mean what they used to mean. And things don't have the same value or things don't have the same focus. And it's like, how is a society going to live when, you know, up doesn't mean up, and down doesn't mean down, and left doesn't mean left, and right doesn't mean right. How do we live? And again, before we move on, do you realize what we do in this time, in this world, in this whatever, impacts what our eternity will look like? It does make a difference. All right, let's press on. Verse 24. Two desires, both from the rich man, which is kind of interesting. You would think, okay, we've had one of each, one of each. Nope, now we have two from the rich man, rich man only. Because guess what? The poor man is thrilled where he is and wants nothing. That's going to be our destiny. Can you imagine being there, wanting nothing, needing nothing? But that's where he was. At the most amazing banquet, having all of his needs met. Because he was faithful, even in craziness. I mean, think about it. It's funny, I read this, and I, I, I don't know if you were here when um, Pastor Walt talked about Job. But just the whole idea of being covered in sores and just having that kind of a, a situation in your life. And that's where this man was. And he was faithful to God still. And that's the thing. I don't think any of us have it that bad. And we struggle. I, I mean, and I'll be honest, you know, I'm there too. You know, I struggle with crazy things that happen. Things that go on in my life. And like, why is this happening? Why is that happening? And it's like, it gets frustrating. But my life is not like this man's at all. And he was able to stay faithful to God. So we should be able to do the same, I would think. Okay. 
Try it again. Two desires. Verse 24. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us, you, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. I don't know about you, but I read this and I was appalled. This guy still has the same view and the same respect for Lazarus that he did in this earth. Serve me. Do for me. I was like shocked. But he still sees this man who's in a far better place than he, and hey, do the, have him do this for me. Have him serve me. I was just frustrated. This was this, this guy's mentality. This was his thinking. I deserve to be served. It's funny. My wife goes crazy at commercials because so many of them you deserve this, and you deserve that, and you deserve it, and you deserve it, and you deserve it. And she's like, we don't deserve these things. It frustrates her. Anyways, I didn't get permission for that, so hopefully that was okay. I've learned. <laughs> to get permission. First request here, Lazarus, uh, it, he, to send Lazarus to meet his immediate need, to serve him. Um, that attitude just kills me. Um, but it's explained to him that, hey, there's a great chasm here. There's no interest either way. And so the reply is hard no to the first request. Sorry. Uh-uh. You can't come here and we can't come there. Sorry. Verse 27, second request. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them lest they come to this place of torment. Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. And this is very pivotal. Jesus. Absolutely. Very pivotal. Because... A little while later, it's interesting, something like this does happen. There is, there is a Lazarus who was raised from the dead, that Jesus raises from the dead. And the religious leaders went more vehemently toward Jesus and toward Lazarus to kill them. So clearly, Jesus knew, doesn't work. So, Lazarus is asked to go to the five brothers. Abraham says they have Moses and the prophets. We would say the Old Testament okay, reveals what they need to know. And we have to believe that. Um, I, you know, I have always loved and desired the Old Testament for whatever reason. Um, to me, it just really helps me understand the foundation of who Christ is and what he was meant to do. Um, I, you know, I, I studied with um, 
a Messianic rabbi. And when you start to understand, and, and I understand a little bit uh, about why these religious leaders were the way they were, um, but it, it's still one of those things where God's word still has to have the ultimate over what we interpret it as. It's got to it's got to be the thing that dictates. And so it's like if what we're saying or what we're thinking or what we're feeling is a little bit off from it, we need to alter to it. <laughs> we don't need to alter it to us. And that's what a lot of people do sometimes. But Abraham replies here. He says, if they refuse to believe the scriptures, they would not believe any sign, no matter how great. And you know, today we see that. Christ died, he was buried, he was in the grave for three days, he arose again, and people don't believe that. And we have proof, we have written proof, we have eyewitness proof. And so it's not like it's like some fairy tale that we're just really trying to sell, it's history. And so it doesn't really work. And that's why we have to go back to, it's the word that's going to make the difference. And that's what we have to trust, and that's where we have to go, and that's what we have to believe. Okay. Two questions, then we move on, then we'll be done. One, what is your attitude toward the scripture? Sold out, or just a suggestion? And the thing is, is the proof is your choices. What you do, how you live, what your attitudes are, what your perspectives are. Um, you know, Walt, uh, several years ago, did a whole series on worldview that is so rich and valuable. Because if, if we don't have a biblical worldview, it is very easy to get caught up in just the logic of today and what sounds good, and what seems right. And it's so key to have the word in your life and be in the word with your life. Um, it will change how you think. And scripture tells you that. <laughs> That's the cool part. It's like, if you read this, it will change your mind. It will, re it will renew it. It will restore it. And so it's like, so there's, you know, it's not fooling you. It's not going, ha ha, see, I did that. It tells you right on the front end. This will change your life. But you have to live like it. And, and the thing is, is you know, it, it would be great if we could put it under our pillow and by osmosis it would float into our head and we would just start doing it. But God doesn't want us to just be these mechanical robots. Because think about it. Think about if you really understand Someone who loved you so much, who went to a cross for you, who was crucified on that cross for you, with you in mind. See, it's easy to think, well, yeah, Jesus went and he died on the cross, and yes, for all the sin in the world. And we, we are so finite, we don't kind of grasp the totality of all of us were in his mind's eye when that happened. All the sin, all the people, all that he was doing. It's that personal. It's that intimate. 
And that's, that's the thing that overwhelms me. Because God is that big and he's that great and he's that miraculous. To me, there's the miracle that should compel you. But they were looking for tricks. They were looking for magicians to prove. And scripture has had it all along how it was going to happen. I mean, you, you, you go back to Isaiah and like, these are the signs and this is what's going to happen and that's what happened with Jesus. And it's like, how do you not but it's easy for us. You know, we, we, again, what, what, how much do we know of Scripture that we aren't living? That's the challenge. Second, what will, what will it take for you to believe every word and every principle? What will it take? See, the thing is, is the Lord wants us to choose. You say you love me, Right? Are you following my principles? Are you following my truth? That's the proof. And I will sit here and be completely honest and transparent. Some of it's easy and some of it is so hard because it goes against who we are. It goes against how we were brought up. It goes against our thinking sometimes. It goes against what we want to do. And I get that. But do we trust Scripture more than ourselves, more than the world system, more than those other things. All right, so some context helps us have some understanding here. Uh, if we go back up to verse 14, um, it starts this way. It says, now the Pharisees who were lovers of money also heard these things. They derided or mocked him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. And these were highly religious people who were rejecting Christ. Still rejecting Christ. So lesson one, what we highly esteem is nauseating in God's sight. That's a hard thing to say. It's not about us. I think that's what frustrates us sometimes. I like it to be about me. It's fun. It's fun when it's all my way. <laughs> when we're going my way, doing my things, living my, you know. That's easy. I love that. How do we do more of that? We don't. Because I've got to trust that when I yield to God or submit to God's word, my life will be better than what I think it will be. And that takes faith. Because it's like, well, I'm compromising around this. No. You're submitting to God's word, and guess what? It's going to yield something good. Cool stuff. You know, the world, money, wealth, prestige, power, things of the world, that's, that's the focus. Now, there's nothing intrinsically wrong. You know, if you've got money, if you've got wealth, if, there's nothing wrong with that. But the thing is, is what is driving your day-to-day -day life? What is driving you to get up in the morning? Those things make the difference. If those things are driving you, there's a stench in God's nostrils because they replace his rightful place in your life. And that's a battle. That's a battle that I, my whole Christian life is keeping God first, keeping God first, keeping God first because the world keeps trying to knock him off that pedestal. But we have to continue to keep him there because it's going to be better for us 
what we highly esteem as a stench in the nostrils of God. Verse 16, this is the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. And it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle of the law to fail. What God highly esteems is submission to his word, the scripture. Every word of God is to be listened to and valued, including every dot of the I and every cross of the T. I mean, as someone who has studied the word of God for a while, God was very specific to choose specific words, put specific sentences together and phrases and imagery and understanding. It's, it's intentional, all of it. And we have to trust all of it, including the dot of the I and the cross of the T, that it's of God, that it's from God, and that it's for us. Highly esteem, God highly esteems submission to his word. Thirdly, Oh, we're almost at the end. We might make it. When there is submission to the scriptures, you will always come to Christ. And it's, it's cool. You know, I told you um, that I had studied with a Messianic rabbi. And he, the reason he came to Christ was he was trying to disprove the New Testament. Because he, he, he was you know, raised in a very ultra-Orthodox Jew and lived very ultra-Orthodox. And he, was, he came to this place in his, you know, as a rabbi where he's like, I'm, I'm tired of this New Testament stuff. I'm going to just show how it's false. And, and the more he started to study it and the more he started to try to disprove, 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 the more he saw Jesus Christ and Moses and the prophets and the Old Testament, and the more he saw the truth that was there, and the more he saw Christ, 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 until he finally yielded his life to Christ and said, wow, I've missed it all this time. And this is someone who would, you know, he's a rabbi, committed his life to teaching and preaching scripture. And because he was listening to other men more than just looking at the scripture, he stayed in that track. It blows your mind when you think about it. But verse 31, it says, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Talking about himself, which the whole Old Testament was pointing toward Messiah. John 5.39, it tells us this. It says, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me, meaning Jesus. The Old Testament is full of Jesus. But guess what? The New Testament is Jesus, 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 full of Jesus. Because that's the point. When you come into submission to the scriptures, you are going to find Jesus. One final thing. Home stretch, promise. If there's unbelief, miracles will not convince you. It's that simple. If there's unbelief, miracles will not convince you. The work of God, the Holy Spirit, in the hearts of people using his word is what makes a difference. 
Scripture has power. Why do you think the world tries to keep us out of Scripture? There's power there. If you won't believe the Scriptures, then you won't believe that someone was raised from the dead. Two verses and then one statement. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves. That not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. And it goes on to say 9, 2. Not of works lest any man should boast. This is about what Christ has done for you personally. What does God value? Submission to the scriptures, believing every word and even every dot of the I. And if you're a believer here saying, no, this is just the the gospel message and it's just so simple, it's really not just the gospel message. It's about are you aligning your lives to scripture? Is that the driving force in your life to become more like Christ? Is that the driving force for you to align yourselves in such a way that people see Christ and they come up to you and say, why are you different? Why do you make those decisions? Why do you say those things? Why do you not say those things? Why do you, why do you make the choices you make? People want to see Christ. They're dying to see Christ. We have to reveal him through us so that they can see him. And scripture, and leaning, submitting, yielding to scripture will help that to happen. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for all that Christ did for us. We're humbled greatly by it. There's no other love that has ever been seen like that. Lord, we pray today that we would take your word and use it as that guideline for us, that we would throw out things that are in your word that need to go in our lives and put in those things that need to be, those things need to be replaced by. Lord, use us as your witnesses, as your testimonies. Lord, I I look around this room and I see so many blessed lives and I see your hand in so many ways in so many people's lives and there's so much rich witness and testimony to be had. Lord, use us to impact the community around us, the neighborhoods, the workplaces, the families. Lord, use us, provide opportunities, help us to identify those opportunities to testify of you. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's something about that name because there's power in the name of Christ. We thank you, Lord, for this time together. We praise you. We ask that you bring our pastor back safe and refreshed and prepared for what the fall looks like. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much. Have an excellent week.